we'll, you know, we'll pray for those who are coming for the second service, that uh, there'll be safety on the roads. And yeah, we'll definitely be praying about the, uh, the platter distribution for tomorrow. We'd love to just be able to bless them tomorrow and, and see how that goes. So great. Um, we're going to be in uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50 today. If you want to turn there and if you need a Bible to turn to follow along, there's some in the seat pockets in front of you or your phones, tablets, all those kind of good things. However you uh, read the word of the Lord uh, there. Uh, happy Thanksgiving week. This is Thanksgiving week, and as Steve just wonderfully shared with us, it's, it's a time where we remember we're thankful to our Lord and Savior for what he has done. And I'll tell you what, every time Steve gives a devotional, I'm like, man, you, you're reading from where I'm going here, Steve. You know, it's like, Steve, just keep on, you just keep on coming here. You, just, you, know, you stay up here, and I'll just sit and listen. I feel like that's what I want to do. Uh, thank you for your, your devotional on that. But yeah, we are thankful to our Lord and Savior for all he has done for us. This is the season where we thank him for friends, family, uh, all the goodness around us. Even as we walk through trouble and trial, we're thankful that, that Jesus is there beside us, walking with us, and we can rejoice in all things because of what he has done for us. And, you know, to tell you the truth, this is, uh, can be a hard season for some people. It can be a, a very hard season, whether you've lost family or friends or um, other things in your life that have not gone as you expected, and we're here giving thanks to God, and sometimes we question you know, man, why, why should I be thankful? What's there to be thankful for? But Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our guide, and he gives us comfort uh, even in the midst of trial. So we can be thankful uh, for that. Um, let's, before, we, before we get into the scripture, I just want to pray over the word here. Lord, we want you to teach us today what's, what, we need to, what we need to know, what we need to learn from you. Um, we come and we open your word. This is the word that you have laid down, that you have provided for us, that you have sustained uh, generation after generation so that we get to enjoy these words. We get to listen to these words. We get to take them into our own hearts. We get to digest them and, and, and live them in our own lives. And you are so faithful in that. So we're thankful. We're grateful that you have provided the scriptures for us and that we can Come together as a body today and, and see what uh, your word holds for us even today. And so I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, and that um, you would just draw our hearts closer to you uh, through this morning. And we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in Luke 7. So I'm not going to do a bunch of review. This is our, our last week in the parables. Uh, next week starts our Advent season. So we'll be sharing Advent season leading up to Christmas. And we're finally here. Uh, Jess, we're, we're catching up to Jess. We tease her because she celebrates Christmas all year round. And she reminds us in the office every single day about that. Uh, so we're, we're finally catching up to her schedule. With Advent, we got Advent season coming. We're going to share in Advent for the next couple weeks. Um, and so this will be our, our last week, uh, taking a peek at some of the stories that Jesus told. And today we've got a story. It's a really interesting story. You, it's, uh, most of them are, are labeled as parables in, 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 as the headers of in my, the Bible I'm reading here. And, and this one is not, but this is a, there's a story here that Jesus is telling, and it's in the midst of a, a situation. And we're going to look at not only the story, but then uh, you know, more intently the, the situation that Jesus is in and the players in the situation. So it's a combo of a story Jesus tells plus an experience that Jesus has, an experience that others have with Jesus. So let's go ahead and, and we'll just start reading some of the passage. I'm going to read, um, starting at verse 36, just a, a couple of verses here, and then we'll get into that, and then we'll continue to read some more as we go through this story. 
Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. So they invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet and with, her, with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man... If he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Here we have the situation. Jesus is invited to another party. This one is earlier on in his ministry from some of the other experiences that we've talked about. But again, Jesus is invited to a dinner, a party, a gathering with um, kind of the, the religious elite. Uh, they, the, again, a reminder, the Pharisees were, were known to have these banquets um, weekly, monthly. Whenever they could, they would gather together and they would talk theology. They would talk culture. They would talk um, Roman oppression. They, they would talk all of these, all these issues, their, their, their righteousness versus others. And all of these things, they would get together and talk and they would share as teachers. They would invite teachers in to share the meal with them. And um, so Jesus is invited to this party. And Simon is the host. He's a Pharisee. And probably the reason that Simon wanted Jesus at the party is, again, he wanted to trap Jesus. The Pharisees were always looking to trap or trick Jesus. This is early on in his, in his ministry. And so this Pharisee may, there may have been a, a, a desire to find out who Jesus was. He's telling these stories. He's giving these messages. This is after the Sermon on the Mount kind of stuff, which is his big sermon. They would have heard this. They would have been challenged by this. Who is this guy? So there may have been a curiosity about who Jesus is. Okay, this new rabbi is stepping onto the scene. We want to get to know him. Um, but more than likely, they, they had already started to turn against him. They had, they had turned against John the Baptist. If you're familiar with the scriptures, John the Baptist uh, was, was born before Jesus, right before Jesus. He was the, the one they call crying out in the wilderness for the Messiah who was going to come. And he was getting the nation of Israel prepped and ready for Jesus the Messiah to step on the stage. And the Pharisee had already really started to reject uh, John's ministry, and they were looking at Jesus's ministry, and they were questioning him. And so probably there's, there's a bit of curiosity in the invite, but there's also a bit of, okay, we're going we're gonna to really nail Jesus down on some stuff here. And Jesus, again, invite, accepts the invitation to the party, uh, goes in there, has a meal. The meal would have been, again, set in this courtyard. Like all of these other meals, this house would have been a large house. The Pharisee probably had a, a lot of resources, a lot of money, an outer courtyard with a table. And what would happen again is the Pharisees would get together and they would share. And everybody else in town had the ability to come around that courtyard and listen to what these Pharisees had to say, to, to hear the discussion. They weren't invited into the meal. They weren't invited into the discussion, but they could hear. And on occasion, with these great big gatherings and these meals, the, 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 the crumbs or the, the leftovers that would drop from the table or could be handed out, the Pharisees could hand out little morsels and crumbs and things like that to the people who were in need. So it felt very generous but here they are just giving the crumbs from their banquet table and the feast that they prepared for themselves. They've invited Jesus into this thing. He goes, and there are lots of outsiders around him. And we see in this story, right off the bat, there is a woman, and this allows the woman, this, this setup allows this woman to creep in, really creep in, and get at Jesus' feet, to place herself at Jesus's feet, and Mar uh, excuse me, Luke calls her in verse thirty-seven. She was a sinner. 
And when a woman was called a sinner in the scriptures, a lot of us know what that means. She probably lived her life on the street, and she was probably a prostitute. And that was what, who she was and what she, what she did. She was ostracized. She was set, you know, set aside. No one would acknowledge her. Um, she was one of the, the, when they talk about in the scriptures, tax collectors and sinners, that's, you know, she's in that category. And um, so she finds her way into this meal, sets herself at Jesus' feet. Now, the, the Gospels hardly ever give backstory to, to these, these people in the stories. You know, they, they don't give a lot of backstory to these people, but here we have this sinner who's allowed to walk up to Jesus' feet, and as we're, we're seeing in the story, there's a lot of commotion, there's a lot of question. Simon's going to say, you know, who does, basically, who does she think she is, and who does he think he is, meaning Jesus, for allowing her to step and to touch and to anoint him, and to kiss his feet, and do some other things that we're going to talk about that just weren't culturally appropriate in his mind. I don't think that this woman, starting out, if we're looking at this woman's backstory, I don't think that this woman started out dreaming as a little girl to live the life that she is living. Do you think that's the case? Do you think when she was a little girl, the little girls, you, in our minds, the little girls, they're, they're planning their weddings, they're, they're picturing big weddings and, and family and, and, or career, or all these things that, that you, know, you may picture as a little girl. I've got, I've got little girls in, in our house, three daughters, and you know, they're, they're, they're in like dance and things like that, and they're dreaming of being dancers and, you know, and doing ballet and, and all that kind of stuff. They're talking about their schooling and what they want to be when they grow up, and, and this never comes up. This is, never, this is never the option for them. And, you know, if it was, we'd have some serious, serious talking to do. Um, and I would step down for a little bit here. But I don't think that, I don't think that this, as a little girl, this, this girl, this woman dreamed of living this lifestyle. I mean, she's been cut off. She's been ostracized. You can imagine to get to the position that she's in, what she would have had to do. Maybe she had family. Or this is a real woman. This is again, we've been looking at the stories and Jesus telling stories and bringing characters into story. This is a real woman. This is not the parable. This is not the parable. This is a real woman here. And so maybe she had family that maybe passed away and she found herself on the street as a little girl. Maybe she had no resources, no one to take care of her. And she's hungry on the street and she doesn't have any food. No one was taking care of her. There weren't food banks. There weren't things like that and, and social services like we have now. They didn't have a foster care system where like, oh, here's a child in need. We're going to put them in a home that can take care of them. She may have found herself in a very difficult position at a, an early age where she's hungry, she's tired, she's, she's out on the street, she's out on the illness because there's no one, literally no one there who will take care of her, and she may have found that, oh, in order to get a meal or get some money to take care of herself for the night, she had to participate in some things that she thought she would never have to participate for before in her life. And you know that when you eat, you don't eat once and then you're done, right? The next day you're hungry again, and so she finds herself hungry again, and she may have to do something again that she knows is against the law, the, the written law, I'm talking about the, the religious law. Uh, she knows she's doing stuff that, that goes against God's law. People are telling her this as well, but in order to eat, in order to get clothing, she finds herself in this position of not knowing what to do. Maybe she had been married before. We don't know. And in that culture, in that time, a man had the power to divorce his wife for whatever reason, cooking a meal poorly. 
was grounds for a divorce. Now, it says in the law that there was pretty strict requirements for actually divorcing a spouse, but the, the rulers and the leaders had said, well, there's some things that besides infidelity that could displease a husband. So they started writing in all these things that, oh, this could displease, this could displease, this could displease. And so it was really watered down. And uh, they tried to look out for the, the women's rights and things like that, but oftentimes a man could um, disgracefully divorce his wife, and she may have found herself in a position where now her family has rejected her because she's been disgraced. No other man would have her because she's been disgraced, and so we don't know what she's going through, but she finds herself in a position where she has to eat, she has to live, and she really sees no other options but to start to pursue this lifestyle that she knows is a sinful lifestyle, that she knows is, is separating her from her culture, from her family, from her friends, from everybody things like that that she, she knows all around her. And that's who she is. And so we find her in this position, and Luke calls her out. She is a sinner in the town. But she finds herself at the feet of Jesus in the story. And we can contrast her to, to Simon the Pharisee. You know, to, in order to throw this party, he has everything going right for him. He has the resources. He has the money. He has the friends. He has his, his peers who respect him and will come and, and banquet with him. Jesus has come. A rabbi from, you know, a, a promising a rabbi has come to, to sit at his table and to, to share in his table. He, he's done very well for himself in the world. He can throw this party at his big house with his neighbors to gather with all the others who are considered unclean or unworthy to be in his station. They can gather around too and listen to him. He seems to have done pretty well for himself. And here we have these two different characters sitting at the same party with Jesus. I can imagine that at this party that those who um, want to come listen, want to come watch, they probably kept themselves at an appropriate distance from the guests, waiting to be invited in either for that scrap of food or, or trying to, to listen to, what did, that, what did that rabbi say? What did the, the Pharisee say? What did, what did this leader Say, and I can imagine there's there's a, there's a boundary, a personal space that's that's appropriate for these these kind of parties. But here we see this woman coming, and again, in verse 37, she she's, finds herself at Jesus' feet. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Uh, the ladies of the time would have would have worn. Um, a lot of them would have worn a little jar of perfume uh, around their neck. There is no deodorant during, the day, you know, during that time. And they would have they've worn perfume uh, for, for social occasions and things like that. And it was actually common practice that they would, have, they would be wearing their perfume uh, in a jar and they could uh, use it whenever they, they needed to. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She's crying. She knows who she is. She knows who he is. And she weeps. She breaks down weeping at his feet and her tears flow and begin to to wash over his feet. And she sees her tears are, are, are washing over his feet, getting his feet wet. And what does she do? She takes her own hair. In order to do that, she would have had to brought, bring her hair down. They wore their hair up as a sign of respect and it was a cultural thing. And, and to, to bring to a woman to bring her hair down in public in front of other men was very, very disgraceful. Okay, we, don't, we don't understand all these cultural things, right? 
Uh, I see all of us here, men and women, various haircuts and hairstyles and lengths and all kinds of stuff. In here, they would have worn them up. It would have been disgraceful for her to bring that down in public in front of another man. But here she, she sees uh, Jesus' feet. She's weeping over Jesus' feet. She knows who she is. She knows who Jesus is. She knows what Jesus is doing for her. And she, she weeps and washes his, her, his feet with her tears. And all she can do, she has no towel. There is no towel available. All she can do is bring down her hair. She knows it's a disgrace, but she also knows who she is to the people around her as well. So what the heck? I'm here to honor my Lord and Savior. Brings her hair down to wipe his feet and wash them and dry them with her hair. And she's kissing them this whole time, kissing his feet, which is a sign of respect and love. And she anoints them with the perfume that she has. She anoints his feet with the perfume that he has. And we're going to see the significance of all those things a little bit later on in this story. They're very significant for her. They're very significant for her to step into that position of loving her Lord and Savior as she has, displaying this, this affection for him. But it's also very significant in another way as well. And through all of this, this is, this is a spectacle, all right? This is, this is disruption at the table. They're, they're telling their stories. They're sharing all their, their, their Bible knowledge. They're, they're talking theology, and they're talking all this stuff. And here she comes in right in the middle of their conversation and, and puts on this spectacle right there at Jesus' feet. They already know that, oh, you know, we, we don't like this Jesus. We're questioning this Jesus. We don't know what he's all about yet, but we don't like where he's going. Uh, you know, how do we trick? How do we trap uh, and I can imagine Simon seeing this and seeing the woman close to Jesus, touching his feet, you know, all over him in, in, in love and affection. It's like, <laughs> okay, we're, we're writing this one down for the books. If he would have had iPhone back then, you know, it's, this is the kind of thing you start recording and, you know, every social media outlet, this is going to the news outlet around the country. I've got influence because here is, here is your so-called Messiah. Here is this religious leader. Here is this new rabbi in teaching, and he's doing everything against what is appropriate in our culture. And I can imagine the headline, I imagine the, the post and this, this video shot from a phone being displayed and splashed everywhere. I can imagine Simon taking, okay, he probably has a scribe with him. Scribe, take notes about this. I want you recording these actions because we are going to use this later. And under his breath, it says, under his breath, he's not bold enough to say this out loud. Under his breath, this man, this man, he's talking about Jesus. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. She is a sinner. And Jesus says, Simon, I got a story for you. And it doesn't indicate that Jesus heard the words, whatever, but Jesus knows the heart. Jesus is God in the flesh. He knows the heart. I think Jesus knows these situations he's going to be going, putting himself in, and he's willing to do that. He's willing to do that because of his message of love and grace and forgiveness. And this is going to be a, um, just an epic message and display of forgiveness and what results from that at this party that he's attending. He says, Simon, I have something to share with you. I have something to say to you. And Simon said, say it, teacher. I don't know how he said it. He's like, well, okay, say it or mm -hmm. bring it on. Show us what you got. And I can imagine around the table, multitude of Pharisees, religious leaders, elites, 
it's the crew. It's the one that the, the party you want to get into. And here's Jesus. I say, okay, bring it on. Let's hear your story. And uh, then we'll have something to say ourselves about that. And here we have the parable. Here we have the parable. Very short, two verses. Here we have the parable. A creditor had two debtors. Okay, so a lender had two debtors, two guys who were in debt to him. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? There's the story. Simon, what do you think? There's the story. Two guys go to a bank. They've gotten loans. They've gotten lots of loans. They are in debt. They can't pay it back. And the banker says to them, it is all forgiven. What do you think about that? A denarii, would, again, reminder, would have been about a day's wage. So I'm just, you know, up top of my head, just to make an even number. I'm thinking, hey, let's say $100 is what we need to live on per, per, day, per day here. So we'll say 100 bucks is what we could live on. Some of us live less. Some of us need more uh, for that. But let's just say that a day's wage is $100 in our terms. So one of them is in debt, like uh, $50,000 or so, let's just say. $50,000. The other one's in debt, about $5,000. One of them is probably on the verge of bankruptcy. It's about a year and a half's worth of wages. He's probably thinking bankruptcy in his mind. There, you know, $50,000. And for some of us here, $50,000 wouldn't put us in the bankrupt category. For some of us here, $50,000 is way beyond what we consider it's, you know, bankruptcy, and I was like, I can't, I can't handle this, whatever. But this guy is so far in debt, he's probably thinking, bankruptcy, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to pay this thing back. I'm there begging my, my lender one more time. Okay, help me out here. What can I do with this? The other guy is $5,000, about 5000 bucks. You get, you know, a month and a half or so of wages. You'd be thinking of him with a credit card debt. You know, he's, he's racked up stuff on his credit card, $5,000, and he may not be in the position where he thinks, like, okay, this is going to totally bankrupt me, you know, for the rest of my life, but this is significant. I can't pay this back. I don't have the resources to pay this back. And Jesus' Jesus's conclusion of this story is this banker, he graciously forgave them both. And his question is, Simon, which one loved him more? Which one loves him more? Now, forgiveness in this account, when it says he graciously forgave him in verse 42, take note of this. If you're writing notes, take note of this, because we're going to talk about uh, forgiveness during this message here. Forgiveness in this case, the, the Greek word in, for this case of forgiveness really means to make a gift of this. So the lender is making a gift of their debt. Okay? He's not just wiping it away from the books. We, we think that, oh, he's just, all he's done is he's got his books, he sees the, the, the debt. Uh, the debt load for each of these guys, and all he's done is crossed it out. Isn't that a wonderful story? No, the, the meaning of the word forgiveness in this instance is the, the, the lender has made this a gift for them, which means it's not been a crossed out debt. The lender has now taken this upon himself to pay it back. The lender has taken on $50,000 for one, $5,000 for another, and saying, I know the situation that you're in. I know that you can't pay it back. Tell you what, I'm going to gift this to you, your debt. You are forgiven. I will go ahead and pay that debt. He has taken on the debt himself. He took on the expense himself in this case. So the debt is going to be paid. 
this, this is going to be worked out. The, the, the money is going to be paid back, but not uh, with the two gentlemen who found themselves in great debt. The, the lender himself is going to take on the debt in this story. And, si- and, and uh, Jesus says, who will love this guy more? And Simon has an answer for that. Simon says, Simon says, I suppose the one who forgave more. I suppose the one who forgave more. He's, eh, well, I think, I guess, eh, probably. You know, I could see him shrugging his shoulders in this. He doesn't want to answer because he knows sort of where this story is going for him and for the table that he is around. And Jesus allows him in this moment to, hey, Simon, tell you what, you help me finish this story. You give the answer to this story. You help me fill in the blanks on the story. This, these guys have been forgiven. The debt's been removed from them. It's been put on, the burden has been put on another person. Which of these guys is going to love him more? Which of these guys is going to be more thankful to the lender? And Simon says, well, I, I guess it's, yeah, the one who's got the bigger debt. Of course, yeah, that seems reasonable. He's the one. And Jesus says, you got it, right? Bingo, ding, 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 ding. You win the prize, Simon. You got it, Simon. But do you really get it? But do you really get it? Do you understand what's happening here? Read with me a little further here. Verse 43 again. You have judged correctly, he told them. Jesus says, you're right. You're right. In verse 44, turning to the woman, he said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman, but he's addressing Simon. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. I'm talking about this woman. She's loved a lot, but the one who loves little or is forgiven little loves little. Simon, who's that around this table? Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He asked, this, he asked this Simon right off the bat. He, he's, he's, he's allowed him to give the answer. Right, right, right on, dude, right on. You got it right. But do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And Simon thought that he saw who this woman was. The sin that had just defined her for her life. The, 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 a woman who just needs to be on the outskirts because she's, she's dangerous for their culture. She's damaging to their image as a nation. She's got all these strikes against her, and she just needs to kind of keep her distance off to the side. Yeah, that's the woman that Simon saw. But Jesus sees something different, and he starts to, he starts to draw Simon in here and say, Hey, Simon, let's talk about this love thing. Let's talk about this gratitude thing. These, these two debtors who owed a lot of money, the 50000 and the $5,000. Yeah, you said that the one who had a lot of debt probably loved him more. And here we have, I'm going to tell you, Simon, that this woman has expressed love and gratitude beyond anything you could imagine. And here you are finding yourself in a position where you are actually loving little. Let's look at the situation here, Simon. He says, when I came into your house... What happened? 
Nothing. I mean, right off the bat, we, we miss this when Luke sets up the story in verse 36, then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. And Jesus, he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, well, that's, that's fine and normal. But as, as we start to open up the story a little bit, there's a lot of things here that Simon has not done for Jesus as an honored guest. And this woman has had to pick up the slack, make up the difference in her expression of love. Simon, you, you didn't wash my feet. All right, you know, they wore sandals back then. It was hot, it was dusty, they didn't have paved roads, so of course their feet got dirty. And if we've studied these stories for any significant amount of time, we know, we know that when you go into a home, it was offered that someone would be there to wash your feet. A servant or someone else would sit there and wash your feet, scrub off all the dirt, you know, that um, I can imagine, you know, foot smell and stuff. You're having a banquet, you're reclining at a table, you know, you're, you're low to the ground, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, we wash our feet. You know, we wash our feet. This is just social etiquette. This is just what you do. Okay, Simon, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't kiss my cheek. Okay, well, we don't do a lot of kissing in the cheeks around here. Some people do, but we don't do a lot of kissing around the cheeks here. But this is like, Simon, you didn't even shake my hand when I walked through the door. You didn't even put your hand out to shake my hand. You know, we, we, walk, we go to a party or, or we go to an event. We come here to church, and what do we do? We, we start, hey, how you doing? And Craig, how you doing, man? Good to see you, man. And we shake hands. You know, we, we do that. That's just how it goes, right? And if you've got something against someone, then hands in the pockets. And yep, how you doing? Yep, good to see you. A little standoffish. But, you know, this, these are just things. You, imagine going to someone's house here, you know, and you know, it's winter now, so we wear coats, right? Just about everybody here probably came with a coat. And if you came to my house and it's cold outside, you came in, into my house, and uh, tell you what, um, yeah, you, you just keep your coat. You know, no, no offer to like, hey, can I take your coat? Can I help you? Can, you, can I welcome you in? Here's, here's some appetizers. Here, here, you want a soda, coffee, water, whatever, you know, into my house. Simon showed none of the common courtesy, that, none of the basic common courtesy that someone would show at a gathering like his. Simon. You didn't make a big deal about this. You didn't even make a big deal about me. And who knows what he did for the other guests? I don't know. It doesn't say in the scriptures if he made a big deal for his other guests around the table. And it was just Jesus that, eh, no, you know, I'm going to really show him who's boss here. When he enters into my house, he didn't make a big deal about me, Simon. But this woman here has not stopped since the time that she came. She has not stopped. She washed my feet, but you gave her no rag. So she used her hair. She kissed, my, she, she kissed my feet the whole time where you wouldn't even extend your hand to give me a, a handshake. And she offered her own perfume where you didn't even offer me the oil that is just customary when I walked through your doors. You didn't make a big deal for me, but, her, but she did. She hasn't stopped her display of thankfulness since she came into this place. And he says in, in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, he's telling Simon this, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. And the language in this story is, is alluding to the idea that Jesus had already forgiven this woman somewhere else. He had seen this woman somewhere else, maybe had an encounter on the street, maybe had an encounter somewhere else, uh, and, and he had already forgiven her sins. She had come to him in repentance. She had come to him seeking as her Messiah, as her Savior, and she has forgiven him. And now at the party, after she has displayed this grand ex uh, expression of love and thankfulness for Jesus, submission to Jesus, he, he says, see, 
You see, all this stuff is happening because she knows her sins have been forgiven. She feels that her sins are forgiven. And she can't help herself. And then he turns to the woman. And I think this was for the benefit of the crowd. I think this was for the benefit of the crowd. Because if it's true that he forgave her somewhere else at an earlier time, and this is just an expression of her gratitude, he turns to the crowd and says, Your sins are forgiven. And in this case, where I made you take note about forgiveness up in verse 42, where it was taking on a gift, the debt was still going to be paid, but it was going to be paid by someone else. Uh, this instance of forgiveness, the, the meaning of this uh, of forgiveness here, it means to be released. It means to be let go. It means to have things, the weight canceled. It means to be set free completely. He says, you are set free. Woman, you are set free. Simon, she is set free. And everybody around us, she is set free. With great forgiveness comes great love and great thankfulness. And we see this woman has received great forgiveness, incredible forgiveness from Jesus Christ, her Savior, her Lord, and the only way that she can respond is with love, with affection, and with thankfulness. Making up for the, the missed cues for the, the guy who was throwing the party. I think Jesus loved these parties. I think he loved going to these parties. I think the gospel writers loved telling the stories about Jesus going to these parties because I think in these situations, Jesus is, is winking at the hosts. He's winking to people around him saying, you think you throw a great party? You think this, this is the spread? This is, this is, this is, this is, a, this is great for you? You're enjoying yourselves here? Just wait till that heavenly banquet table is set up. And oh, by the way, the people that are going to accept the invitation to that are not the ones who you think will be there. All of these leaders sitting around this table right now, you think you guys are going to be at that heavenly banquet table? What about the people around us? They've been invited, and they've accepted the invitation as well, and they are going to sit at the heavenly table with me and this woman is just displaying that she's given her whole self, her whole life, without apology, without regret, without regret, not holding anything back, to say to Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have made me free. You have made me free. Forgiveness is an important piece of Jesus' message to his followers. Forgiveness is critical. Not only that we are forgiven, but that we act in the same way that Jesus acted. And there are implications for how we live our lives. I mean, Peter, later on in Matthew 18, he says, well, how many times do I have to forgive someone? That's a good question. The law says seven. Is that good? Am I good at that? Can I stop there? And Jesus, are you, are you cool with this? You're just going to follow the tradition of seven times? And Jesus says, no, let's try 70 times seven. Let's just start really exponentially multiplying this really means stop counting. Stop keeping track of this stuff. All right? You want to keep track. You want to have it all in order. These guys at the table, they want to keep track. They want to have it all in order. They, they're keeping a record of all this woman's sins, whatever. You know, they, they know who she is. Stop keeping track. Earlier on, Luke, he's, he records the words of Jesus that indicate there's a connection between forgiveness from God and our own forgiveness, not salvation, not salvation, but how we experience forgiveness from God. Luke 6 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn. You will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
Is your heart open to forgive? If your heart's open to forgive and extending forgiveness and it's pouring out from you, man, how much more can God you know, extend and pour in the forgiveness over you? How much more will you feel it? How deeply will you feel it? Because being greatly forgiven means that in turn we greatly forgive others. Later on in Luke, after he's talked about forgiving others, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pour, uh, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What a promise. And this woman is, is displaying, she's showing us the, the result of that promise. Her extreme love for Jesus, her honor for Jesus, her thankfulness to Jesus. These other people were dismissing her. It wasn't a big deal to them, but you know what? We get her story. We get to see her. We get to know her. We get to see how Jesus interacted with her. God has given her a place of honor in the scriptures, in his story, saying, this is the way you do it. This is the way you respond. In her faithfulness, God honored that through generations. She never knew she was going to be written down, that this story was going to be written down. All she did was like, oh, this is my Savior. He's forgiven me. Oh, my gosh. All I can do is love and, and throw thankfulness at his feet. You Be grateful. You know, all of that. That's all I can do. And she was giving, given honor herself, having her story shown and told through generations and generations through these scriptures. And the crowd at the table those in verse 49, their response, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? Who is this man? Who is this man? That was their only response. That was the only way they could respond. The woman knew who this man was, and their question at the table is, who is this man? They couldn't get over their own stuff. They couldn't process and comprehend what is going on here. Jesus, if you were a real prophet, first you, you know what this woman has done, and you would have ushered her out of this room probably with a kick from behind. Get out, get yourself cleaned up, you know, and what in the world is going on here? Probably a few of us, probably just a few of us, feel like the woman who are absolutely at the end of the rope. They, they just... We, we just don't know how in the world did I even get into the, this position. How did I find myself, you know, this is not what I dreamed of. How did I find myself here? And there's probably a few of us here who feel like I, I am at the end of my rope. I am broken. I am worthless. People tell me I'm worthless. People treat me like I'm worthless. And there may be a few people like that sitting here today. There's, there's probably more of us who are a little bit more like Simon and the group sitting at the table. Maybe we've got a little bit of Simon in us. Maybe we've got a lot of Simon in us. It's pretty easy to tell ourselves we're better than we really are. We're better than we really are. Yeah, I know that person's a sinner. Simon can say, I know that this woman is a sinner. I can, count, I can show you all the things, the kind of things that she does to separate her from God. She is a sinner. You know what? Compared to her, my stuff's not that bad, right? I'm just not that bad. And so he, he was there to compare and contrast her sin with his own. And he played it safe. You know, she was just, she was out there just expressing love and affection and gratitude to Jesus. And the rest of the people around the table are playing it safe. Like, I don't know, this is uncomfortable. I, I don't know what we're doing here. And we may find ourselves in the same position if we, if we feel like 
we've not need to be forgiven a lot, then we maybe play it a little safe with our relationship with Jesus and we're not ready to come to the banquet table in extravagant love and affection. And I think there's three questions we need to uh, just go through just real quickly. Write these down if you, if, you, if you need to here. Three questions we need to ask ourselves today. Have I really acknowledged the depth of my sin? Have I really acknowledged the depth of my sin? Have I really acknowledged the separation that that sin brings between me and God? I'm not trying to, this, this sermon is not about piling, piling on guilt. This sermon is not piling about that. But the, the woman coming to Jesus, she knew who she was. She recognized who she was. She recognized who Jesus was as her Messiah. She knew that in her, in her town, in her, in her family, in her friends, she was worthless to them. She was discarded to them, but she came to this position of, oh, this is who I am, and I'm going to approach my Savior, and I, I'm going to ask for, for the forgiveness that I need. I know he is the one who can save me. Simon, on the other hand, he really didn't know that he was a sinner, at least that he wasn't that bad, right? I mean, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm not that bad. In the story that Jesus tells of these two debtors, they're both in debt, Right? There is not one that's good. We may look at one like, oh, this is bad, this is a little bit better. But they're both in debt. They cannot pay it back. There is no way that they're paying this money back. It's like, it's like swimming in the ocean, and two people swim in the ocean and you're drowning. One person's 500 feet out, one person's 50 feet out. They're both drowning. Which one's worse? Okay? I mean, which, you know, which, one's, which one's worse? They're both drowning. They both can't save themselves. They're both helpless to save themselves 500 feet out or 50 feet out. And we try to, oh, uh, you know, if I'm 500 feet out, I'm going to swim out to the, the, the 50 feet out and then I'm a lot better. No, you're still drowning, right? We're still drowning. And, and Simon and this woman and all the people around that table were drowning in their sins. They were in that position of drowning in their sins. I can't help myself. I can't get myself out of this situation. It doesn't matter if, if I've sinned every single minute of the day or only twice a day. It's still sin. I'm still separated from God. I can't fully fellowship with God. It doesn't matter if I'm 500 feet or 50 feet. I'm still drowning. And the question is, have we actually acknowledged and realized the, the depth of our sin? And it's going to look differently for, for everybody around here, but it is the thing that separates us from fellowship with God, from relationship with God. And Jesus says both of these guys needed to be forgiven. Both of these guys needed to recognize where they were and have their debt taken away. And so there may be some of us today who are like, yeah, man, I, I know I'm a sinner. I have never looked to Jesus as my Savior. And today I need to recognize that he is the one who can pull me out of the water. He is the one who can pull me out from drowning. And if we've made a commitment to Jesus, just recognizes that, you know what? Yeah, we are, we are walking with Jesus, but we are not Jesus. <laughs> We, we can walk in his spirit, but, the, you know, we still tend to stray. There's still things in our life that, that we need to work out with God. And we still need to have that, transform, that continued transformation in our hearts, which leads to the next question. First one is, do we recognize and acknowledge the depth of our sin? The second one is, how has Jesus, his forgiveness, changed me? How has Jesus' forgiveness changed me, or how is it transforming 
my life. This, this, this woman is obviously an example of transformation. She was fully impacted. Her life was changed because of her encounter with Jesus. She was willing to worship Jesus in a way right then and right there. She was willing to worship Jesus in a way that was very costly to her. The pride, her pride of, have, of crying over his feet and wiping them with her hair, the, 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 the expense of the perfume that she poured out on him, the scorn, the cost of the scorn from everyone around her. But she was willing to worship Jesus in a way that cost her greatly. When was the last time that we worshiped Jesus in such an extravagant way? She knew who Jesus was while all the others were left just shaking their heads at her and at Jesus. She knew who she was. She knew who Jesus was. And she worshiped him extravagantly and lovingly. And the last question we have to ask ourselves is, do I view others like Jesus does? Simon saw this woman and saw her sin. The people around the table saw her sin, and Jesus saw something else. Jesus saw someone who was worth you know, sacrificing his life for, someone who was worth extending forgiveness and grace to. And forgiveness through Jesus Christ leads to our love and gratitude for Christ, and that in turn should lead us to forgiveness for others as well. Jesus' final answer to the sinners in this passage, and I say sinners, they're all sinners around this table. They're all in debt. They're all drowning. We have all been sinners. We are all sinners sitting around this room. He says this amazing thing to them. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It wasn't her works. It wasn't what she did at at his feet that saved her. That was an expression of the salvation that she had found in him, the forgiveness that she had found in him. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. More fully translated, you are at peace with God. You are at peace with God. Forgiveness through Jesus Christ results in great love and thankfulness and a life that goes forward in peace with God. And the world desperately needs that peace. And Jesus says, here and now, you can live in that peace. You can live in that peace. Christmas season's coming, Advent's coming. It's a time where we proclaim the peace that Jesus Christ bought, brought and bought for this world. Are we living in that peace? Do we feel like we're, we're at peace with God, living in that peace with God, expressing love and thankfulness and gratitude to our Lord and Savior, willing to forgive and reconcile with those around us, willing to, to do that work? Forgiveness through Jesus results in great love and thankfulness and transformation, going forward in peace, and it results in us being willing to forgive as Jesus has forgiven as well. We're going to take communion today. I'm going to go ahead and invite the gentleman. We're going to partake in communion today as a body. I'll tell you what, one of the challenges that Jesus brought to his community is he said, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. If you're worshiping and you remember that, oh, there is something that that is, that is straining, that is broken between relationship, leave that gift on the altar. We don't offer altar, uh, sacrifices of, of lamb and, and doves and grain and stuff like that. We, we offer our lives as a sacrifice. We, we, we do communion as remembering what Christ has done for us. This is, this is a, an act of, of worship to him.
And there were a lot of people around that table with Jesus that day who were not willing to forgive, who were willing to sit in broken relationship, who were not willing to extend grace. And, and Jesus says, hey, when you, are, when you are doing these things for me, but you remember there is brokenness, there is something to be taken care of, leave that sacrifice. Leave it. Leave it. I'll tell you what, the challenge for today and the challenge is for me and, and maybe for some people here is um, I would rather have full plates of communion taken back to the back when it's all said and done if there are broken relationships. This communion doesn't save us. It's an expression of Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. But, but Jesus himself says if there's something that's straining you that's in the way, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Get that stuff right before you come to take communion. So we're going we're gonna to celebrate this together today, thanking Jesus for what he has done, but also remembering that the, the act of forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us, we are to, to bring that to others as well. Gentlemen, you want to come forward with the communion, and we'll just say thank you to Jesus. Make this a quiet time for yourself. You know, take, the, take the bread, take the, the drink as, as you feel led. Pray to Jesus. Thank Jesus for what he has done for you, for what he has done for us acknowledge that he is your lord and savior and that you truly do want to live a life that that follows after him and then go ahead and take those elements as you feel led and and the worship team will come and they'll they'll lead us in another set of words